Okay, you ready girls? Yeah, ready to go. No popcorn today, unfortunately, but that's alright. So... I'm sitting in a living room with housing developer Tony Houston and NZME's property editor Anne Gibson watching TV. It's the middle of the day, the doors are locked, the curtains are drawn. So this was the day they arrived. What we're watching is a video of a crane lifting the very living room that we're sitting in off a truck. See, that's the bedroom wall, the street and the walk-in room. And onto a plot of land in Auckland's northwestern suburb of Hobsonville Point. So they have the big canvas bags and the plastic, and then you'll see them. You can actually see the finished product. The finished product is a house made in China, shipped to Auckland, and erected in one day. But this took more than three years to get right. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly, and today on The Detail, could these big steel, mass-produced, ready-made homes in a box be the solution to our housing crisis? Or will they be doomed like so many other prefab housing schemes? OK, so um, here we are, Tony, at the front door of this... Prefab house, tell me about it. No, it's okay. a modular house. Modular house. Yes. All right, well, let's start with what's the difference? Um, the, the difference is totally different, really. Um, these are what's called a volumetric modular home, which means that it's built as a volume rather than flat packed or prefabricated. So a prefab is generally one piece, like a prefabbed uh, schoolroom. Mm -hmm. is one thing. This is actually done in four pieces that are modular that puts together to make one house. And I suppose we should start off by saying this has come here from Guangzhou in China. It has, correct. So this started three and a bit years ago with Kainga Ora, who was HLC at the time, which is Housing New Zealand. And I built the very first house here at Hobsonville Point. So um, we've been here for the whole time. And, and this whole thinking about density and what have you and affordability has been top of agenda right from the very beginning. I worked for um, New Zealand's largest building company as a franchisee. TJ Gardner. Yeah, well, that's, that's you said that, not me. OK. <laughs> um, so we built the very first house here and we've built probably 400 houses here under that brand. And about three years ago, we sold that business, but then we um, met with Kyanga Ora HLC at that time to discuss how we can have more affordable houses because in Auckland, there's a housing crisis and it's really about affordable housing. Like if you've got $2 million in Auckland, there's probably not a housing crisis for you. But if you've got $650,000, there is a crisis because it's very difficult to buy something that works in that price range. So we set the business up really just to build affordable houses and it's taken us three and a half years to get to this point. Sure, but how did you end up bringing in modular structures from China? Um, well, the, if you, you've got to go back um, really because when we build out here, we, we have the called things called super lots, which is basically it's like a block of houses. And... Ever since we started here, you had to do so many affordable houses in regard to a super lot. So it was about 10 or 20% we would have to build these things called access homes, which is a precursor really to Kiwi Build, um, which was it started over 10 years ago. Um, so we built those, and the problem with that is that you would lose money on those, 
and you would make money on the other one. So it was sort of swings and roundabouts. So that, that worked okay for us. But what's happened with Kiwi Build is when you buy a super lot now off Kyangora, it has to be 50% affordable. Now, any builder who is doing that work will tell you at 50% affordable where you lose money on them, it doesn't work. So we had to say, right, how can we do things differently? Because basically housing's been built the same way since Adam was a boy, except we use power tools. So we've been challenged to do 50% affordable. How do we do that? And I know how you can't do it because we did it with these access homes. You can't, you can't do it in a traditional manner because it's too expensive to build. The labour and materials and all those things, too expensive. So, right, how can we think in a different way to come up with something that is affordable that first-home buyers can have? So that took us down a track with Kyanga Ora, and they introduced us to the company that built these um, out of China. We've had a lot of mistakes. We call them learning opportunities. We've had a great deal of those over the period. What kind of mistakes? <laughs> we made a list of, rather than things that went bad, things that went good, and we struggled to find something, really. So That went good. Yeah. <laughs> but can you give me an idea? I think it's to do with um, expectations, like what, what expectations that they do something in China and what we think acceptable are two different things. Things like painting, very, very high standard. Things like tiling and siliconing and those type things um, are not as good as you'd see here, but we've, had, we've obviously changed all that. Modular housing makes up just 3% of the Auckland market, but the council estimates that will climb to 20% in five years. Houston's worked closely with the council to be the groundbreaker. To come up with inspection regimes, we've had them to the factory two or three times, so they're very comfortable with you know, how we're doing it. And we're really approaching it in a in a manner together so that they can learn off the back of us and we can learn with them. And, you know, it's all about that collaboration because they see this as something quite strong moving forward. Mm. But why does it have to be made in China and shipped over here? Why can't it be done here? Because it, the problem is here we don't have enough volume of of housing. In America they build about a million homes a year in Australia, about 250,000. We build about 26,000. So we're 10% of what Australia build and, I don't know what, 25,000 to a million. You know, it's not a big proportion. So everything here is very, very expensive in regard to channels of material and also labour. There's no reason why a contractor has to do something at speed or or volume because they just there's no incentive for them really and and so what we're trying to do is make it more like car manufacture so we're not actually building buildings we're actually manufacturing buildings which is it's a whole different way of thinking and to give you an example if you built a car your car like we build a house your car would cost a million dollars and that's unacceptable because the inefficiencies that it, how it's been built but now your car that you might have might be twenty or $30,000 for a car, which is acceptable to people. Mm-hmm. And that's just the reality. It's the same as clothing. You know, it's, it's manufactured. It's not built. You know, it's not done in a bespoke-type manner, which makes everything extremely expensive. Can we have a little tour yep, of this sure, place? Yep, sure, certainly can. Yep, I'll leave that there. Okay. So um, let's come in here. So 
We're on the ground floor. Yep, so this is the master bedroom. And so really, it's like any brand new house, except this one arrived taps, door handles and all. And get this, Fisher & Paykel appliances, made in China, installed here, because it was important to have a brand people know and love. Yep, everything. So if you come in here, come into the ensuite mm-hmm. and the walk-in robe. So as you can see here... Um, this is a fully tiled bathroom with vanities, toilets. The only thing we did was put the toothbrushes in the toothbrush holder and put the um, towels, towels on, on the, the tile rack. Yeah, so that's all we did. And you were able to do that and, and sell these places. And there's your, yeah, your walk-in robe. So the walk-in robe. robe, again, the only thing we did was put these hangers up. Mm-hmm. Other than that was all done. Mm. And it's got drawers and you know, all this is done. Yeah. And because you can do it sort of mass production yep. in a factory yep. in China, yep. you can make these places affordable. Is yes, that the we argument? Can. That's right. Yeah, we can make them affordable so we can do volume and make some money out of it. So the problem with a Kiwi build and affordable houses is that if you don't make any money, you can't do them at volume. You know, if you lose money and the government say, oh, we'll give you a whole lot of sites, all you do is lose a lot more money quick, more quickly, you know. Prefab homes have been touted as a potential solution to the housing crisis. Could thousands of prefab homes help solve the country's dire housing shortage? Prefab NZ's chief executive, Pamela Bell, says they'd be cost-efficient, warm and high quality. There are worries that prefabs are a risky proposition and there may not be enough firms who want to get involved. Homes made in a factory in Masterton can be shipped flat-pack style to anywhere in the country and be partly built using semi-skilled labour. Anybody who has any building experience would be able to put one up so even a DIY would it would be either that simple a DIY would be able to do it as well. Plenty of firms are trying to get involved. Just Google prefab houses NZ and they all pop up. The failures are well documented. We'll talk to Anne Gibson about that shortly. But Houston is convinced module will work and with the help of a multi-proof consent from MPI, within two years he reckons he'll be putting up more than 200 made-in-China houses in a year in Auckland. It's a nice house. Yeah, it's a really, it's a nice, really house. nice house. But I'm just wondering how people feel when you say it's, it's come from China. Didn't seem to worry them at all. What about the argument that... You know, shipping something that's made of steel from China, environmentally sound? Uh, well, the, the good thing with these, these are probably 98% recyclable because it is steel. Um, the only thing that can't be recycled is maybe some of the floor coverings, but everything else is recyclable. You know, it's a Homestar 6 rating, so it's a very high quality. It's triple insulated. The other thing... Waste, because it's done in a factory and everything's recycled and used, the waste situation with these is hardly anything because it's all done. Mm. You're not chopping off bits of wood and, you know, putting them in the skip and it going to landfill. They reckon that 40% of the landfill is from building, you know, construction. So we don't have that. My view is that it's an interesting experiment. I'm standing with journalist Anne Gibson looking out the bedroom window across the road to a car park to a shipping container. And what you're saying is that that has become this. Yes. But it's a high-spec version, I suppose. <laughs> it's it? all lined with jib board, got fish and pike <laughs> in it. Which is pretty crazy. Um, 
because you've done a series of stories about, well, I know Tony doesn't like to call us a prefab, yeah. but I guess it's, oh, it's a are. version of a prefab, yeah. oh, isn't it? definitely prefabricated houses. Yeah. They're made off-site. Yeah. And whether you call them modular or module or prefab, it's the same thing. My concern is there have been all these failures with creditors owed millions of dollars and some people not getting the houses yeah. that they paid deposits on and actually losing the deposits. And even worse, a lot of the building suppliers, like Bunnings in one case and a lot of other ones, losing a lot of money, many millions, from um, three very high-profile failures. And that's um, ABT Construction, which was in a factory in Arches Road in Glenfield, and uh, E-Homes out at Kumu, and Matrix Homes in Wellington, which was in the former General Motors factory at Trentham. And also, interestingly, a fourth one, uh, which was part of the Box Group. And this is a guy, Dan Hayworth, and he had leased the former Alloy Yachts um, big boat building factory out in Henderson near Lincoln Road and he was going to build all these modular houses. Well he only only built about four or five. He said he built some components of other houses but effectively it's a fourth one that didn't really turn out to be what we were expecting. So my concern is it's it's a very beguiling idea isn't it? Building houses mm. like cars like wow mm. you can build them cheap they could be really cool and fast and have everything you want but what if it didn't work and what if the idea was a good one but it didn't actually pan out to be that good? Um, as Tony Houston has just said, it's a very small part of the market. In yeah. Auckland, I think it's only about 5%. So if it's so good, why have we got Grant Porteous from G.J. Gardner Homes, which build by far the biggest house builder in New Zealand, building about well, more than 1,500 houses a year, saying, this doesn't really work. Mod he said if modular housing worked, he'd be doing it himself. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning. Your target, 1,000 homes within a year, 100,000 in 10 years. You need to ramp things up. So you've talked about prefabrication in the past. How are you going to use that industry? Well, you know, off-site manufacturing or modern prefab offers us a fantastic opportunity to tackle some of the very real obstacles and capacity constraints that we've inherited um, to build up the numbers. And so I'm really happy to be able to announce today that uh, Cabinet has agreed that the government will formally invite uh, uh, expressions of interest from... Um, construction firms and investors, both internationally and in New Zealand, on how we can work together to establish uh, a modern off-site manufacturing house building industry in New Zealand. Scale's the critical thing here, and that's um, the wonderful opportunity that KiwiBuild offers. We can contract work uh, thousands of houses a year over multiple years to firms that can scale up. I would hope within a few years, when we've ramped up to 10,000 or 12,000 a year, a substantial proportion of that would be um, built in a factory using high-tech, high-precision gear. So more than half? Um, I would hope so. Well, as we all know, that hasn't happened, at least not yet. And so the traditional method of building, aspects of it, sure, prefabricated off-site, like the, the big frame and truss businesses that placemakers and other firms have got. So that, certainly having components of houses built off-site. But Grant Porteous from GJ's is just saying, no, that's not really 
where we should be going with housing in New Zealand. Um, and he cites other things like affordability of land and, and those sorts of aspects. Whereas Tony, you can see, has got this big super lot where he's building all these container housing houses, which is, yeah, it's an interesting experiment. Isn't yeah, it? but I guess the thing is, do people have the confidence, having seen these other collapses, yeah. do buyers have the confidence to... Um, you know, to buy it. Buyers wouldn't know, I don't think. They wouldn't know that prefabrication in New Zealand has had um, a history of insolvency and creditors not being paid. I think most buyers would um, come and look at a place like this and and be pretty impressed. I mean, it does look good, doesn't it? And, mm-hmm. and the risk, therefore, is on the module housing business and um, Tony Houston and what he's doing. He's taking the risk. But it's interesting what he's saying is that this is the future of housing in New Zealand, that there's going to be so many more of these places built. So let's wait and see. But I was very interested when he said they made a list of what went right and what went wrong. And at the start, more went wrong than right. So it's been a learning experience for him. So what I'd say is let's hope it's not a learning experience for the buyers. Somebody said in your previous article, do we want a whole suburb full of houses that look like this, that are boxes? Yeah. Well, no, and that's a good thing about Hobsonville Point, is you've got such a wide range. You know, you've got the beautiful um, two-level offices houses and that gorgeous circle way over by the waterfront near the, near the cafes and the market, and you've got a big precinct of former Air Force houses that are weatherboard, which are really lovely and very traditional in the street layout, and then you've got the ultra-modern ones, you've got the ones from the block, and now you've got the module houses. So I think Hobsonville Point itself is a fascinating experience Experiment of um, like um, urban density. So a lot of people come here from the South Island and see this and they go, oh, Coronation Street. Because most housing in New Zealand is very random. Yeah. There's no conformity. There's no master planning. Now, Anne, you're going to love this one. You're going to love this. We're back in the sitting room with Tony Houston watching his video presentation. So I went to America two years ago. Now, this is from the Home Depot, which is an orange, big orange bulk building company. $9.33 for a sheet of plasterboard. That same one from an orange thing, Mitre 10, same box builder, $30.69. And this, I did this not to have a go at jib, but to just graphically show the problem that we've got. Now, plumbers here are 100 bucks an hour for a plumber. Crazy stuff. And this is a problem why Kiwi Build really hasn't worked because fundamentally Kiwi Build homes you just can't you can't make any money out of them. So no one wants to do them. They've built 385 uh, 385 Kiwi Build houses in the last three years. The rest of the market's built 75,000 houses. So hang on, what's going on here? Something's going on, isn't it? And that's the problem. It's a cost. This house we're sitting in is on the market for more than $800,000. More to come from the factory will be in the affordable 650 range. After decades of building hundreds of houses, Houston reckons he's got the formula that will win over first-home buyers and, crucially, their parents. There's three people involved in the decision-making. The first one is the purchaser, which is probably a young person, and they come in here and they fall in love with this and they think this is fabulous. So they go home to mum and dad and they say, mum and dad, I've found the house. we found the house. 
So what happens, mum and dad have to come along and have a look. So there's two things that are critical here. So dad comes along, he's very protective of his children, obviously, which all good fathers should do, such as myself. They think, right, let's, let's have a look at this. So the one thing we've done, they're freehold titles. So they're not body corpse, there's no body corp, they're freehold titles. So dad's happy, he's ticked off, freehold title. Mum comes in here, oh, it's lovely, it's lovely. Oh, Fisher & Paykel appliances, tick from mum. So we've got a tick from purchaser, tick from dad, tick from mum. Right, we're in business with the process. And I was going to ask you, you know, banks are much tougher now. Uh, tough. uh, OK, yeah. interest rates have dropped, but it yeah. is so much harder to get a loan. Right. Yeah. What do banks think of these places? Um, the banks, have, we've actually got um, one of the... We've, we bank with two banks. We've actually got them coming this week to see them. They're concerned about code of compliance. That's their main concern because the underlying freehold title is probably where the, the value is for a home. So... As long as we can get a code of compliance, they're very happy with lending money for them because they're probably better than a normally built house because of the way they're constructed. So you can't you can't not have a code of compliance because you can't get any money otherwise. No. So does someone from the council yes. come here? Once it's finished, yep. and they come the here. Whole and, thing. Yep. Yep. We actually had an inspection uh, Friday week and uh, there were some issues that we had to take care of, mainly things that were done in the foundations and locally, which we had them here again today, just to, you know, part of our processes, we're working with them, and we've got a final inspection for next Monday, which we will pass, and we'll get a code of compliance after that. Mm. So you have to have a code of compliance, or it's no good. What's the pandemic done to, to it all? Has it held uh, up the boats? Has it stopped no, the it work over actually, in China? Their factory opened up, so they've, they've actually been available to do work much earlier than New Zealand. Um, these first three we actually had to put back a month because we were closed down, we couldn't accept them. Um, but just to give you an idea, so what we've done is use the infrastructure that we have in New Zealand. So we've used the port, which is probably worth, I don't know, $3 billion facility there. The ship arrived at 6am in the morning and by 11 o'clock that same day they were ready for us to take. So we're using all those processes that are already in place rather than trying to build our own factory and, you know... Mm spend a lot of money on infrastructure that may or may not work so we're trying to use that whole infrastructure to make our business sort of flow really quickly that's it for today i'm sharon brett kelly the detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by rnz and nz on air you can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform and if you're using apple leave us a rating so other people can find us too today's episode was engineered by jeremy ansell and produced by alexia russell thanks to ann gibson and tony houston matewa